I owe them $2 if I'm not entertaining this morning. So there's a lot writing on this sermon today. You guys are going to have to help me out. $2 is on the line. We're going through All In Together. All In Part 2 is our series. So let's open it up in prayer. Let's go before the Lord and ask Him to take over the service today. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you pursue us every single day. You run after us, you chase after us with your love, wanting just a relationship with us. And there are so many different things in life to distract us from that love. God, I'm asking that you would remove those distractions this morning, that you would help us to focus our eyes only on you during this time so that you can remind us what it means to live for you. Not just now here on earth, but for all eternity in an eternal relationship that can only come through you. God, we love you. Thank you for this time. In your name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, we are, we're working our way through the All In series, part two. We've been learning more and more what it means to be 100% committed to a relationship with God. That's what we're doing, that's what we've been going through, and that's what we've been learning about. And I knew that this was going to be my opportunity to preach on these subjects, so I had a chance to kind of work together with some people and think about what I was going to say this morning. And I was thinking about, you know, what does it really mean to be one in the church? We're supposed to have a relationship one with God, but we're also called to have a relationship with one another and be in unity in the church. And the best thing that came to my mind when it comes to being in relationship with people is my own family. And maybe you can relate to that. You obviously have your own families that you do relationship with on a regular basis. I know for me right now today, Afton, my wife, she couldn't be here. She's getting ready for a wedding that we're in later on today. Yeah, somebody's getting married on a Sunday, and they're going to drag me to the wedding this afternoon, but I'm very excited to be a part of it. So she's home getting ready, but something that you may not know about my wife, maybe you do if you know her at all, she's an extremely competitive person. And that works out so well with my family because I'm one of four boys all of us, extremely competitive people. So I'm thinking about what it means to be in relationship with family, what it means to be one with your family, and it's very hard when your family's extremely competitive. Give you an example, a couple years ago, Christmas Eve, my family was all getting together for dinner. We love to play games, that's just a thing that we do. Monopoly came up as a concept to play the game. Monopoly, a great game, super laid back, very relaxed. Nobody's ever crying at the end of it. Totally normal. My family takes it to a whole nother level. We're playing. Afton is into it, man. And she's like trying to take over the world playing Monopoly. And my older brother, James, who had come out ahead early on in the game, if you've ever played Monopoly, you kind of understand. Usually there's like three different stages of the game. There's like the equal playing ground where everybody has the same amount of money. Everybody's trying to buy up property. We're all on the same level. And then somebody shoots ahead and they start dominating the game, and they start making people feel humiliated and horrified and crying to themselves. And then towards the end, there's usually kind of a switch where somebody else starts riding up towards them and gaining more money and properties than them. And that was what was going on two years ago on Christmas Eve as James, my older brother, was slowly watching his fortune of fake money. <laughs> I don't think he got that. Fake money, this doesn't matter, none of this means anything, but his fortune of fake money slowly erode 
as Afton gained and gained and gained on him. And he was getting so mad. My brother gets so mad when he starts losing. Growing up with him, he was the type of guy to throw things at you if he started losing a ping pong game. To be fair, I did the same thing, but we're going to talk about him, not me today. So James gets so mad, Afton is loving this because she loves to taunt James. And towards the end of it, right when he's about to lose, he's coming up on like boardwalk and whatever the green spaces are, I forget the name, it doesn't matter. He's getting around on that side and he knows it's about to be over. And you can just see it in his face. He's about to flip the whole table. I'm really thinking that's going to happen. My youngest brother, Johnny, who's kind of the class clown in the group, he waits for the moment, right when he rolls the dice, right as he's moving his little piece, his little dog, to whatever piece it has to land on. I'm going to be honest, I have no idea if it was a dog or not. It was two years ago. I made that up. It could have been anything. But he's moving his piece to the final space he has to go to. And just when he's about to blow up and just lose it and just march off into the other room, Johnny yells out, can we all just get along? <laughs> Everybody starts laughing. He knew it was a great joke. And it made me think, you know, can we all just get along? James was so mad at the world as he saw his fake fortune disappear in front of his eyes. Afton was loving every single minute of it. They didn't talk the entire day of Christmas. It was perfect. <laughs> and it makes me think, can we really actually, truly, can we ever get along? Because if my family can't get along, I shouldn't expect anyone else's family to get along. So how are we supposed to live in unity? How are we supposed to get along in life? That cliched phrase actually comes from back in the early, early 90s. Some of you guys may remember the story, what was going on in Los Angeles, California, way back in like 1991. There was a huge riot that broke out over the course of 91 through 92. And what happened originally was a man named Rodney King was arrested and he was brutally attacked by some police officers, is what the story goes. I and mean, a lot of people in the area got very, very upset to what happened to Rodney King. This would have been March 1991. Over the next year, riots broke out continuously through the city. People were so furious at their government officials, at authority figures, at each other. They started looting and vandalizing different storefronts and different properties and businesses. And up until May 1992, the riots continued and continued to get worse and worse and worse. Interestingly enough, Rodney King, a man who was beaten and arrested in March of 91, he gave a speech May 1st, 1992. And he had learned that we could all be on the same team. And he was actually the one that coined the phrase, can we all just get along? He said that May 1st, 1992. Very, very serious moment. Asking an entire city to stop destroying itself and pleading with them, can we all just get along? Can we all just make life work? I, I feel that. I really get that because I see that all the time in my family, in my friends' groups, in church, in our city, in politics nationally, I see this all the time. I see such disunity that I wonder to myself, is it even possible? Can we actually get along? And if you look throughout history, the same thing has happened over and over and over again, where you've had figures, men and women, cry out 
to the masses, can we all just get along? It's happened over and over and over again. This morning, we're going to take a look at what Paul, the Apostle Paul, has to say on the subject of getting along with each other. You see, he's going to be talking to a church in Corinth, the Corinthian church, which is really having a tough time getting along. And what we're going to learn this morning is how Paul mandated that you must learn to get along as a Christian, but we're going to go beyond that. We're going to figure out how you get there, because Paul, God through Paul, through the New Testament, shows us not only what we need to do, but he shows us how to do it. And I love that about Jesus. He thought he knew that we were so dumb that we could not figure out how to do these things. So he was like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to just show you what to do, but I'm also going to help you get there by showing you how to do it as well. And that's what we're going to learn about today. You see, Paul is going to be talking to the Corinthian church is where we're going to start. We're going to kick off in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 10. And this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. He's going to be begging them to stop fighting with each other. And he's going to be begging them to get along with one another in agreement. Here's what it says in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there is no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Paul, a leader of the church, reaches out to this church in Corinth, a city in Greece, a major player in the ancient world when it comes to economy and industry. And he's calling out to this church. He's saying, hey, you guys are so disunified. There are so many divisions amongst you. No one has any idea that you're even a Christian church. Will you please just be in agreement with one another? And we think about that, and that can apply to a whole bunch of different scenarios. What's going on specifically with the Corinthian church, there was a lot of disunity when it came to their leadership. The Corinthian church followed several different leaders. And the problem was that you had these factions of churchgoers who believed that one leader was better than the other leader. That's what's specifically pertaining to the Corinthian church in this text. Let's check it out. We're in verses 11. We're going to go through 15 here. It says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Paulos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. So we're just kind of understanding what's going on in the Corinthian church. There's discord over leadership. That's a pretty common thing. Think about any organization you've ever worked in, any organization you've ever been a part of. From time to time, there are problems with the leadership. That makes sense. But what's happened here is that the Corinthians have taken it to the next level. They have instead say, I follow Jesus, number one, and everybody else is secondary. They have found these other leaders and they have put them on a pedestal equal to Christ. That's not okay. And Paul immediately recognizes this as a major problem, and he calls them out. He says, if you follow me, was I ever crucified for you? Obviously, no, because I'm the one writing you this letter. That didn't happen. 
I wasn't crucified for you. Christ was crucified for you. Were you baptized in my name? No. You are baptized in Jesus' name. No one else matters besides him. This Apollos guy who was an incredible man in of himself. Just so we all understand that Apollos was a great Christian man. He was a great godly leader. The problem was that his followers put him on a pedestal. Cephas, which is actually Peter, the Apostle Peter, that was just another name for Peter, Cephas, obviously another incredible man, an incredible leader of the church, the Apostle of Jesus Christ, the man that Jesus put his foundation of the church on top of, an incredible man, nothing wrong with him, but his followers were putting him on a pedestal. This is the problem. Followers are putting Paul on a pedestal equal to Christ. And when we make something equal to Christ, there's going to be discord. And thus we have these factions starting up in the Corinthian church, where we have these different people saying, no, you're wrong, I'm following Apollos, and he's right. If you follow Peter, forget about it, man. You're in big, big trouble. We had somebody else saying, no, I follow Jesus. All of you guys, all of you guys have no idea what you're talking about. And they're fighting with one another constantly. And the problem is that people are looking at the church, the Corinthian church, and they're like, how are you different from any one of us? And there's no light shining in Corinth because no one is representing Jesus in unity. When it comes to factions here in our world, during our time, I see a lot of division. And I do think that we are very similar to the Corinthian church. Maybe not specifically when it comes to leadership in the church specifically, but when it comes to factions around several different topics. And here are a couple I just thought of. I think some examples of factions today would be ethnicities, nationalities, politics, businesses, families, parents, and yes, even churches. You take a look at that list. I hope it's behind me. Yep, it's behind me. Good. You take a look at that list. Think to yourself. Look at your Facebook page. Think about what you talk to your friends about. We just saw two preliminary, um, shoot, trying to think of the word, debates. That's a tough word. We just saw two preliminary debates happen just this past week with introductory candidates for the Democratic Party. I mean, think about all of the different opinions around just the last two debates that took place earlier this week. Folks, the elections in 2020, guess what you have to look forward to? A whole lot more debating. And I think about this stuff, and I look at this board, we have a lot of factions. We have got a lot of division. Nationally, we have a lot of division in our country. And then I look at it from a church perspective, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, everything on that board, I feel like plagues the church just as much as it plagues everyone else. Christian people I know struggle fighting one another over nationality, ethnicities, and politics just as much as people that I know who don't go to church. I've seen just as many vicious barbs thrown at one another through different phrases and insults we've given each other over parenting techniques or whose family is better. I've seen that in the church just as much as I've seen it out of the church. And I wonder to myself, I worry about this, I wonder to myself, are we any different from anyone else that doesn't go to church? 
And just like that, I find myself in the position that Paul is in. Looking at the Corinthian church, seeing the division in the church, worrying about the division, worrying about the fighting and the quarreling that's going on, and thinking to himself, are you guys any different from someone that's never even heard of Jesus' name? That's what I worry about. That's what I struggle with because I look at our church today and I think if someone shows up on a Sunday, just to be clear, not this church in particular. Three Timbers is great. I'm talking about the church as a whole. But I think to myself, if someone showed up on a Sunday at any church in Omaha, what are the chances that they're going to see people who are different? People who love each other. People who agree with one another. Versus what are the chances they're going to just see the same thing that they see on Monday morning at work. That they're going to hear the same arguments that go on at the water cooler every single day that they're working. That's what I worry about. Because we are called to be different. How are we called to be different? By being in agreement, in unity with one another. This is what Paul says. He calls them out just a little bit later on in 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. He calls them out. He says, you are still worldly. For since, that was God speaking to all of you. That was not me. (laughs) Dramatic effects. Thanks, Jeff. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Now, let's take a time out. Hold on. I am human. Like, is he telling me I'm supposed to act like a unicorn? What does that mean? We're acting like mere humans? Like, that's not an insult to me at all. I'm like, I'm fully human. That's what I am. I'm not a dog. I'm not a cat. I am human. So if you're going to say that I'm acting like a human, thank you, because that's what I am. I think Paul's trying to go a little bit beyond that. And here's what we can take away from this. He says, you are still worldly for jealousy and quarreling have encompassed everything that you are. You're still acting like a regular human. And you know what I'm seeing from that text? You know what I see from the call to be in unity? Check this out. Unity is not natural. Unity is not natural. It is supernatural. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Unity among human beings is not natural. Why? Because it is worldly. That's exactly what Paul is saying. It is supernatural to be unified in the body of Christ, to be unified in love with one another. It is a supernatural thing that we are talking about. This is not natural human living. This is going beyond that this morning. We're going to be talking about supernatural life that makes people stop and look at you and say, what is different about you that you live in such a way you love people unconditionally, you agree with one another, you seek to understand someone else. Why are you so different? I don't do those things. That's not natural. And if you said that, you'd be exactly right. Because living in unity is not natural. It is supernatural. And we can dissect that a little bit. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I don't fully agree with that because I agree with a lot of people. I live in unity with a lot of people. I get along with my coworkers. I get along with my family. Everything's fine. And I would agree with that. I think that's fair. But let me ask you this. Do you find yourself easily getting along with people that you like? And that's it. 
Think about people that you don't like, people that you don't agree with. People on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they post something and you just immediately roll your eyes. I know every single one of you is thinking of somebody right now, because I am, I've got like five on my list right there. Man, I've blocked them, I've stopped following them, I'm not gonna share anymore. It's a good thing this isn't being recorded or anything like that, it's fine. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, yes, we get along with people that we like. That's normal. What Paul is saying is unconditionally living in unity with everyone. That is not normal, it is supernatural. You have to have Jesus in the equation in order to live in unity with everyone. Why do we know this? Because Jesus himself said it. Check this out, we're in John 13, verses 34 through 35. This is Jesus talking to his disciples saying, hey, you wanna be different? Well, you're gonna be supernatural and you're gonna do it this way. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Some translations of this passage say, the world will know. This one says everyone, but I think it both, it fits. The world will know that you are my disciples by this, if you love one another, unconditionally. So Jesus is calling out the disciples right there. If we are in unity, if we agree with each other, if we love each other, support each other, then the world will know that we're different. There's something going on inside of us that's not natural. It is supernatural. Are you guys with me on that? Have I driven that point home enough? This is a big deal. This is kind of life or death stuff, not just for you, but for everyone that would ever have a relationship with you because the light that's inside of you will not shine if you cannot be in unity with everyone around you. So it's kind of a big deal that we get that. This is the what. The what is you have to live in unity. You have to get along with other people. That's the what this morning. So before we move on, I want to make sure we got the what because I want to get into the how. Like I said at the beginning, I'm gonna show you guys what we need to do, but let's see how we get there. And I think there are, there's so many different verses that we could talk about. There's so many different ways that God teaches us to live in unity. I would encourage you guys just open up your Bible and read it this week and you will find different ways that God teaches us how to live in unity with one another. But what I've done is I've kind of found three core things, that if you can do these three core things and you can ask Jesus to help you out with them, I truly believe that you can supernaturally live in unity with other people. So we're going to take a look at these three different things that help us live in unity. This is how we get there. First off, listen to others' opinions before making a final decision. If you're married, and you just heard me say that. That might just rock your world right there. Hold on. Listen to others' opinions before making a final decision. I am super happy Afton's not here today because I can talk about this and she doesn't have to call me out because they're, let me be honest, I don't always listen to her opinions before making my final decision. I'm just as guilty of this as maybe everyone else is. John or excuse me, James 1.19 says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
Listen to others' opinions before making your final decision. If you're mad about something, seek to understand what else is going on. Try to see it from the other person's perspective. Listen to what they have to say before making your final decision about them, about the situation, about you. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you want to live in unity, this is the first step. We've got to learn to listen. Second step right here is, if you do need to correct someone, correct each other in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. And that is so key. Parents out there, I know that you on a regular basis, daily basis, hourly basis, I don't know, even every 10 minutes, you are having to correct your kids. And I get that. Having been a kid, I understand what it feels like to be corrected. I'm not a parent yet. I kind of operate on this rental program because I'm a youth pastor. So I like to take your kids for a couple hours at a time, and then I just give them right back to you. I have found that works really well for my life. I'm so sorry that doesn't work out so great for you. you got to have them for like the other 22 hours of the day. But for me, what I've found is it's a great policy. You guys should really try it out sometime. Regardless of how often you interact with other people, younger than you, older than you, whatever, there will be times where you have to correct them. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're a human being, you know what I'm talking about. We are so often tempted to correct in anger to correct in self-righteousness, even correct in indifference. But no, that's not what we're learning here. This is Paul speaking in Ephesians, and he's telling us, hey, you got to correct each other in love. you got to love the other person as you tell them that they're wrong. you got to speak gently and softly to them rather than bashing them over the head with your words. And that's the difference. Yes, there are going to be times we're going to get bumped, we're going to get bruised, we're going to have to call each other out. That totally makes sense. Yes, that's going to happen. But if we are to correct one another, we must do it in love. And then the last thing that I found here, and this is the toughest, if you want to live in unity in a supernatural way, you have got to take yourself out of the equation. That might be the hardest thing to hear this morning. If you want to live in unity, you've got to take yourself out of the equation. This is one of my life verses. It's one of my favorite verses. It's one of the most convicting verses as well. It's Romans 12, 18. And it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I don't know if you guys have ever read the Bible, and there's every once in a while there's a verse, you're like, can we just cross that one out? Because I think about that one with this all the time. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible. So, Paul, once again, he wrote to the church of Rome. This is Paul speaking again. Paul is saying sometimes it's not possible. That's very important to note. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, that's the problem. Sometimes it's not possible to live in unity with everybody because whether we like it or not, not everyone is going to like 
us all the time. If you can believe it, yes, there are times where people do not like me, Joe Slaba. I don't know how it's possible, but I know it's happened before. People have deleted me out of their phones. I have noticed that people have dropped me as a friend on Facebook. I get it. It's a real thing. I go to therapy for it. I move on. It's fine. Not really. I'm usually okay. I get through it. But people will not fully like you. You will not be fully appreciated by everyone. You will have problems in life. It's not possible to live in perfect unity with everyone. So that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What does that tell me? That tells me that I should not be the issue. If I've got anger in my heart towards somebody, it's my responsibility as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, to get that anger out, to forgive, to reconcile, to move on. Why? Because as far as it depends on me, I should always be pushing for peace. And that is the hardest thing for some of us to hear. As far as it depends on us, we've got to take ourselves out of the equation. We've got to have open hands to that hurtful relationship, that difficult relationship you might have with your mom or your dad, that estranged relationship you might have with a friend or a coworker. We've got to look at those, and we've got to change our hearts so that we can stand open-handed and be praying that there could be reconciliation in those hurtful, painful, bad relationships. Why? Because as far as it depends on us, we've got to live at peace with everyone. It's not always possible. But that factor should not be conditional on us. That factor should be conditional on just what happens in the world. As a Christian, we've got to be pursuing other people even if we don't like them, even if we don't agree with them. Why? Because Jesus pursues us. i got to tell you, as a sinner, there is no reason that a perfect God should ever pursue me. But he does. And for whatever reason, I have a relationship with him. So let me bring this all to a close. What are we doing today? We are learning what it means to get along. If we can get along as a church, we will be super natural and the world will see that we are different because we are his disciples and no one else how do we get there well we've got to listen to other people we got to listen to their opinions before we make a final decision we've got to correct each other in love and if you're truly serious about living in unity you've got to take yourself out of the equation Check out this last verse I have for you. It's just John 13, 35, one more time. This is what Jesus says. And as I'm getting ready to read it, we're going to have the worship team come on up. We already read this passage. But I really hope that you guys hear what Jesus is saying here. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The Corinthian church really couldn't figure it out. They had a really hard time getting over their divisions and learning to live in unity and in love with one another. You can see it in 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, the entire two books. Paul is just spending these letters, writing over and over and over again, get rid of your sin so that you can live in freedom for Jesus. And the Corinthian church had a really hard time figuring that out. And I, I get scared. I really do. I think about my generation, this young adult generation growing up, soon to be kind of taking on the mantle of 
controlling and pursuing the economy and pushing things along. That's kind of where I'm at now as I'm getting into my 30s. Early 30s, 30, 30, not 31, 30, just so we're all clear. It's old to some, young to others, I don't know. But as I look at my generation, I get really nervous because I really wonder if we're going to be able to figure this out. The Corinthian church had a really hard time figuring it out. That's just the truth of the matter. Paul pursued them over and over and over again. But if we can figure this out, people will know that we are Jesus' disciples because we love one another differently. Amen?